In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, Arizona, talks with pastors and leaders as they share their testimonials about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome, folks. We're so glad that you've joined us on this on this Monday afternoon. And um, in The Kingdom and Its Stories, we have the privilege of listening to pastors and other church leaders, not only from uh, here in the Valley and in the U.S., but around the world, where we hear their stories of how the kingdom is lived out in their own lives and in the lives of their congregation. And today, we have Pastor Chris Gonzalez with us, who is the pastor of a, of a church here in Tempe, Arizona. Chris, what's the name of the church that you lead? Uh, the church is called Missio Dei Communities, Missio Tempe. So I helped pastor that with a couple other, couple other leaders here in Tempe. And, and how, uh, how long have uh, you been pastor of this church? Uh, we planted the church uh, 12 years. Last week was our 12-year anniversary. Congratulations. So we planted 12, 12 years ago, had been a pastor at another larger church here doing college ministry and some other ministry and was uh, had become the teaching pastor at a, at a larger church and realized, hey, this is great, but had a kind of had a vision from some different things to, to say, hey, we want to do something where people are really engaging and serving people in our city and not mm-hmm. just being few sitters. And so we planted this little this little thing about, yeah, 12 years ago, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, did I sort of read into what you were saying, that the church where you were pastoring before, you didn't feel that they were reaching out sufficiently to the community? You know, they did, they did some great, some amazing global missions work, like amazing stuff globally. And, right. and we're we're wanting to do, and we're doing some stuff locally, especially evangelism. But there, and there was some some different ministries. But if you had, it was kind of like if you have say a thousand people, but maybe in the church, but maybe fifty to a hundred of them were engaged in serving in the city in some way, and kind of serving the least lost, lonely, left out, like Kit Danley talks about. We're just the the vision, and we're young. Uh, you know, me and th- this guy Kevin that we planted the church together. We were young and ambitious and probably arrogant. We're just you know. We want, you know, we want to plant a church where everybody's serving, you know, everybody's involved. There's no pew sitters. We're going to get out there. And, and so basically, yeah, we called a core group and said, hey, we're going to do this where everybody's in. Everybody in the church is going to be a part of a smaller, we call them missional community. So a small group, but, but really more than that, like a, a community of people that are each serving the city in, in, in some way. And so each one, uh, each smaller community has an area of mission, a missional focus. So right. whether it's homeless or, uh, you know, a high school soccer team, refugees, elderly, aging in, in, in place, et cetera, that they, they kind of, they orient, the reason they exist as a missional community is to serve that, that group of people. Okay. Um, also, I, I just, I, this, what you just said raises an, a question for me, and I'm wondering if, if that means that if you're going to be a member of your church— of the church that you lead right now, that you part of the you know 
is it part of the requirement? Can you be a member if you're not part of a missional community? Can you just attend? No, you can't. I mean, you can, yeah, you can. So we do have some people who attend on Sunday, but what we say is that the, the organizing structure, the organizing framework of the church are these missional communities. So in, in our Tempe congregation, we have a, a Phoenix congregation, Tempe and Mesa that we okay. planted. But in our, in our Tempe congregation, we have seven missional communities. And so to, to, act, to answer your question, to be a member of the church, that's one of, I think there's five or six things that we require for membership. And one of them, the first one is that you have to be a part of a active, an active part of a missional community. Okay. All right. So if, as a pastor, you had to summarize, um, what is your vision for the church and community? How would you, how would you articulate that? Yeah, um, definitely taking uh, uh, taking a, a notes from from Leslie Newbegin that you know the local congregation is the and, and the peop, the people not not necessarily um, yeah that the people are the hermeneutic of the gospel. So the way mm, that the world is mm. going to understand the good news of Jesus, going to understand what the true story of the world is and where the world is going and what's happening and how. Jesus is the King. The way they're going to understand that is by seeing a group of people who actually who believe that story and who are committed to living it out together, kind of in a, in a countercultural way. And so, the yeah, that would be the, the biggest thing for me is that I tell people all the time: it's like we're just trying to. We're, the Bible tells a story from creation to new creation. Jesus is the hero of that of that story. Okay. God's on a mission. The world's not the way it's supposed to be. It's broken. It's messed up. But God is on a mission. He's done that to fix it, to restore it. He's done that ultimately in Jesus. He will ultimately do that in Jesus. And so that's called the Missio Dei. That's where we get our name from, Latin term, meaning mission of God. That's God's mission, the God of mission. Okay. And we're communities trying to figure out what's our role to, to play in that. And so a, 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 a huge part of that, you have to be involved in the community. You have to, as followers of Jesus, and, and not just in the community, this is this is a big thing I've been become more and more convinced of, is that you have to be as a as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, and as communities, you have to be engaged with the people on the margins of society. Okay, and that was it just I, was, I remember we were reading through, we were teaching through Luke, and just real, people were like, "Quit talking about people on the margins of society. Quit talking about like why does every sermon have to come back to like <laughs> you know the poor or uh, women or kind of people that were that were marginalized at different times there?" And I was like. Because that's what it is. Like that's it's it's every page. That's what Jesus is doing. That's who Jesus is interacting with. Amen. And so there's a sense as we were reading through Luke, it's like I don't know how you follow Jesus closely if you're not also inter interweaving rhythms of your life with people on the margins of society because that's where Jesus would be. That's Amen. what Jesus was doing. And Amen. so um so that's been a big that's been a big thing for our church. Okay, so one of the things that you do in terms of equipping your people because Paul tells us in Ephesians that the role of the church is to equip its people for service, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Ephesians 4.13. Um, so part of your equipping is on Sunday morning as you, as you teach, mm-hmm. how else do you equip them? What, what, what are the specific things that you as a pastor and the leadership of your church do to equip your people to do that? a great question and that that verse that you just mentioned Ephesians 4 was was fundamental for us at the beginning that kind of flipped the paradigm for us but is that 
like Paul gives some to be those things to equip the church for the work of ministry. Not, and that was like the fundamental switch for us was like, oh, I was always taught and trained and thought as a pastor, I'm supposed to do the ministry. Yeah. But my whole my whole job, I'm equipping people so Amen. that they can do the work of ministry. And so that like that flipped it for us. So so then I realized like as a pastor, the, the question you're asking is like that's what I like. That's what I do. That's all. That's that's my goal. Is how do we equip our leaders and our communities so that they can do the ministry. Yeah. So a bit a big thing is because so much is done through our missional communities, a ton of it is equipping missional community leaders. So see, coaching the leaders of these missional communities, coaching them, leading them, training them, that that's like the number one priority. Okay. Um, so we do we do something right when we started our church 12 years ago, we started uh, with a, a group of churches called the Surge Network. We we started this group of churches and we started something called the Surge School, which is a essentially a nine month lay leadership training deal where we we read through some different some different books and and uh, so we we have a, a majority of our church, maybe at least half of the people in our church have been through Surge School, and so it becomes okay. uh, kind of becomes a foundation for us and. And in that, I sit, or right now, I don't, I'm, this last year, I haven't led the search tables. Charlie, uh, who I've trained up, and he's about, uh, he's about 12 years younger than me, so he's the age I was when we planted the church, but he's come through and, and we've raised him up, and he's been leading these search tables where he'll sit with, you know, five to ten different people from our church each week, and they work through a, this curriculum that it, it basically has these four quarters, and so this is, this is, and I'll share these four quarters. It's basically what we're trying to get into our people as a theological vision, a theological foundation. Okay. The first quarter, the first quarter is the biblical story. We read a book by uh, Mike Goeen and Craig Bartholomew called Drama of Scripture, and wanting people to see, wanting our people to see, this is the story that we find ourselves a part of. The, the Bible tells one big story, and then the second, the second quarter is saying, "Hey, that's true, but there's other stories that our world is telling us, and we're all wet in them, and we swim in them all day long." And so what is that, what is the Western story? What are, what are the stories that are, are and, and what are the idols? There's idolatries and ideologies that come out of that. And so the second quarter is all about how spiritual disciplines are, they're missional, they're communal, and they're counter-formational. They form us against the, the spirits of the age, the idols of the age. Okay. Quarter, quarter three, we then, we use a book called, uh, from Jim Mullins, who's a pastor here, uh, at Redemption Tempe, and here in Tempe, Jim and Mike Gillian wrote a book called Symphony of Mission, uh, really showing kind of the mission of the church is, essentially, the mission of the church is way bigger than, we, we usually try to break it down to, it's just evangelism, or it's just social justice, or it's just, just this thing, but to see that God's mission is holistic, it's big. And then in the fourth quarter, we get into vocational discipleship, and okay. so I think right now we use uh, Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor, and really wanting people to see, okay, how does, so in light of this kingdom vision that I've just got from the first three quarters, how does what I do in my nine to five, Monday through Saturday, how does, how does that actually play a role in God's kingdom? And so that, that I, so to answer your question, that's a huge part of what we do is, is surge school. And then the other equipping we do, uh, a big, a big one we do, we do something called the story, uh, story of God in uh, basically, in over six hours, we get a group. It's storytelling, so we do. We get a group in over six hours, so usually mm-hmm. three one day and three three hours the next day. Get a group of ten to to twenty people, and uh, and sit in a living room, and yes. I'll and we tell a series of nineteen stories, starting in starting with the story of creation, the rebellion in the garden, Genesis three, Cain and Abel, on and on. So there's nineteen stories that go through the redemptive arc of the biblical story, and so I'll tell a story for. 
uh, or another leader, tell a story for say, you know, five, five, five minutes to tell the story, three to five minutes, and then we'll have five to twenty minutes of, of open-ended dialogue. Okay. Where I'll, I'll ask questions, and uh, you know, what do you learn about God in that story? I was, and the rules are you can you have to stay in the story, so you can't bring new information in. So when we have you know, I have a seminary degree. We have other seminary students. We we started this, so we have all these seminary students that are from Mitchell Training Center in our church. Like they can be there, but then there's you know there'll also be a homeless guy or a, a new lady who mm. who don't know anything about wow. anything about the Bible. And what happens in this is because the seminary students can't bring, or the people who grew up in church, they can't bring their outside information or their okay, theology yeah. into it. Everybody starts at the same at the same spot. So and you so, have you have it, you have community people in these tables that you, you yeah. where you meet so it's it's yeah. not just those that are going through the curriculum it's just that at the table you have community people who may not have any exposure to christianity not, yeah, in the church yeah yeah to be clear not at the so surge is more just for people in our so that's more for just people in our church this when we do story of god we'll try to get other yeah okay. other people from the community other people from like we did one we, we uh, for our mc we were serving uh, a ministry called I Help uh, here in Tempe that serves homeless people, and uh, we did. We ended up doing the story every Tuesday night over six weeks uh, at I Help with a bunch of a bunch of homeless friends, and it was so it was so powerful. Like they asked the the one thing I really realized is like, gosh, they ask such different questions than church people, <laughs> and it's so much better. It's so much yeah, more fun, right? But uh, yeah, so we'll do that, and it's fun watching people. Even it's it's actually fun too for people who've grown up in the church and feel like they know all the verses or they know all the stories, <laughs> but they start to see like, yeah. oh, this all holds together. Like this is all weaving together. And wow. and then and then basically from there you find the the big thing we're just trying to say is like, hey, we have a this is a story we have a role to play in this story. Okay, so. for those who are uh, have just joined us, we're you're you're tuned into the Kingdom in its stories, and I'm Bob Moffat. And I'm interviewing uh, Pastor Chris Gonzalez, who is a pastor of a, a church in Tempe, about 12 years old. And we're talking to him about uh, what is the role of the church in the community. And Chris, you you know, you you talked about this curriculum that you go through, and you know, you know, being someone who's been through the academic uh, process, I I'm impressed with curriculum, but I'm not very impressed with the idea alone that ideas have consequences. Yes. We hear that a lot. Ideas have consequences. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I grew up in a in a church where there were lots of ideas, but mm-hmm. they weren't practiced, and because they weren't practiced, I didn't see much consequence. Mm-hmm. So so how do you move your people from the training to the consequence. Gosh, that's a great question. I think um, the, so. One in both in in certain school where I, I was talking about the curriculum, and in in our church, we use we use something called the kind of the tool that we use that's been really helpful in both served in our church has been we call it the bless rhythms. So B L E S S. Okay. So B B stands for bless. L stands for listen. E stands for eat. S for speak, and the second S for Sabbath or celebrate. And so, bless, listen, eat, speak, Sabbath, celebrate. So we want everyone in our church to know that. We also want okay, them to know— Okay, say those again to, so that so somebody bless, might be taking yeah, so, notes. Yeah, so if someone's taking notes, so the, the first B is for bless, 
And and that's basically saying, hey, I want to bless someone in word, gift, or deed. Okay. The the L stands for listen. So how do I how do I listen to some? I want to listen to someone's story. I want to listen to to what they're saying and, and and be able to listen to people, listen to our culture, listen to our neighborhood. E stands for eat to share a meal or a drink with someone. Uh, essentially, hey, you have most people have twenty one meals a day, three times seven. Uh, uh, twenty one meals, meals a day. A week. 21 meals a day. That's, uh, that's a new diet. It's a new fad diet, Bob. Yeah, okay. You haven't heard about this yet. Yeah. So 21 meals a week. And, okay. um, and so who are you sharing those meals with? Uh, Tim Chester in his book, uh, A Meal with Jesus, he says that, again, in the Gospel of Luke, he says Jesus basically eats his way, eats his way through the Gospel. I he love goes from it. meal to it. meal. And so eat. How do I share a meal with people? Speak. How do I speak the good news of the kingdom? How do I speak about Jesus? Can I speak? Uh, the Bible into people's lives, and then the and that, last one, that, that would be part of your tables, where you yeah, invite yeah. people in and talk about uh-huh. uh, a passage of scripture and what that what that might mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, and then and then Sabbath or or celebrate. How do I celebrate? And so we we if if you're taking notes, I mean, if you write, if you imagine imagine if you have a piece of paper, this, and this is one of the most helpful things that we found for people to do. If you have a piece of paper, write blessed down uh, the left-hand side. Blessed, listen, eat, speak, Sabbath. And then across the top, there's three, if you have three columns, with God, with my, my Christian community, or you know, my church family, or my missional community, or whatever that is, and then the third column, with people who don't know God, people okay. who don't know Jesus, people living a different story. And then you can either, you can use this either as a reflective tool of going back, like, okay, let's look at last week. And just fill that bless grid out for the uh, like over the last week, and maybe you just do it for one of the columns or for all three columns, or you can do it looking ahead. How and you can intentionally kind of proactively plan. Hey, this week, uh, let me go through the with people who don't know Jesus, people who are different than me or live in a different story. How am I going to what am, what meal am I going to share with someone who doesn't know okay. Jesus? And what we find is it's super helpful is that a lot of people are like, gosh, I don't. I don't have that in my life. I don't, but if you just start asking that, like, oh, I could be creative and I could, you know, I could go out to lunch with this person from work or I could it's kind of, yeah. So um, that's been really helpful, but we have those blessed rhythms as a part because real that exact thing you're saying, like ideas don't necessarily have consequences because the temptation, like Jamie Smith, James K. Smith talks about is like, we just be, we think we're, we're brains on sticks. And so if we just have the right ideas, they'll necessarily happen. And that's just not the, that's, that is, that's Plato's worldview. That's right. not Jesus's worldview. Amen. And that's like, that's this huge thing. It's like, that's, that's great. That's Plato that wants to divide these things between sacred and secular, upstairs, downstairs, values and, and right. facts. Right. But it's like, no, that's Plato. That's not Jesus. Jesus, it's always, it's always lived out. Um, the other, so, so we'll do those. One example that I, I told this guy, he was like, uh, I don't know how to bless anyone. I'm kind of nervous. I don't know. Like, I don't even know what I do. I right. said, okay, here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you this week, one day this week, I want you to go out your front door, go to the sidewalk, walk down the street until you find a piece of garbage, pick up the piece of garbage, walk back home, throw it away in your garbage can at home. And then fill out your bless grid and say, I bless my neighborhood. I bless my neighbors. I love my neighbors by picking up a piece of garbage and celebrate that. Amen. And this is what this is what's huge for people is people don't realize it. It's like 
you think like I got okay, bless. I got to do go do this whole huge thing and make a big show of it. It's like no, 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 just do that. And then okay, great, you did that. Let's celebrate that. That's a win. Now next week, walk out your front door, go to the sidewalk, walk down the street until you find a piece of garbage. Keep walking until you see a neighbor. Mm. And then when you see a neighbor, just say hi. And then walk back home, throw the garbage away. Do that next day, next week, whatever it is. Like go out, walk, say hi to your neighbor. Say. Say something else to your neighbor. How are you doing? It sure is hot out here. We're the only two people out in the Arizona sun. Whatever, you know. <laughs> but just keep building that until you actually, it's these little rhythms where it's like, I can know I should love my neighbor. I know that's a true thought. And then you come home and you... I should be in my... Go- yeah. And then you like come home and you celebrate. And celebrate, yeah. Exactly. I love that. So. That's great. Okay, well, tell us, uh, Chris, give us some examples of, of what your missional groups have done a real story not just not just uh, theory or ideas but give us an example some examples of of how your your missional groups reach out in their communities yeah so uh, right uh, yeah right now we have one Charlie who I mentioned their their missional community serves I help so uh, every night 30 or so homeless people here in said we don't have any homeless shelters and so uh, different churches open up their buildings for homeless people to go. And so we, uh, his missional community goes and serves a meal and builds relationships over the years with people from my help. We built lots of relationships with people who are homeless and now many of them formerly homeless. And, uh, we were talking just the other, just the other day with a newer couple to our church and my son, who's 13 now, we, we started doing I help when he was, gosh, he was like one. So 12 years ago that yeah, he was like one and kind of grew up with homeless people around them. And we had mm. several. We've had several homeless people live with us over the over the course of the of the of the time. And what do you mean? Li- what do you mean live with us? So we've had people. Um, you know, like my buddy Daniel. He was a part of I Help initially. We grew in a relation in a friendship with him. Uh, a lot of times, people think like, okay, you're homeless, and then you get an apartment, and everything's better all the time. There's like it's it's way more complicated than that. Is all I'll say. And so we had Daniel, he was kind of in this transition period, and so he came and lived with us for, I think for, a, for like for a summer. He, right. he stayed with us, and uh, we had an extra room in our house, and so he stayed there. And um, But David, my son, who's 13, he was telling us, like, he considers Daniel, he's like, yeah, Daniel, he's like my brother. He's just, wow. you know. Wow. Um, and, um, and uh, yeah, so just, you know, things like that. Uh, we had another, Nick Barker was the, the soccer coach at Coronado High School, and uh, in South Scottsdale, and so he's, he was a soccer coach there for several years, but they've had his mission community. He's one of our elders and leads a mission community, but his mission community the last several years has basically, they've all been kind of this wrap around the soccer team. So Nick and his, his brother were, were in the mission community, and they were coaches there for the, the Coronado High School soccer team, and then the rest of them, they actually formed a booster club. The rest of the mission community came around and became the booster club, providing meals and going to all the games and supporting these kids as they won, they actually won a couple of state championships during the time. Wow. So, wow. stuff like that. Um, we did uh, serving uh, the city of Tempe did a community needs assessment uh, about three year, three or four years ago now. Tempe right. Community Council. I was the president of that board, but so we were doing that with the city and doing this community needs assessment. And the city was basically saying, but they the needs assessment they're they're spending like fifty thousand dollars on this thing, basically saying hey, we want to know who are the vulnerable people in our city who are being overlooked? Where are the mm-hmm. gaps in service? And so we're, we looked at that and we're like, uh, if 
that's the city that that's the question the city's asking. That's the question the church should be asking. Amen. So if they're yes. going to fund this, so one of the gaps was, hey, we have an increasing population of people here in Tempe, seniors who are aging in place, and so they're not wanting to go into care centers, um, you know, Friendship Village, Westchester here. Today. They're wanting to stay in their place, and there's a lot of benefits in that, but they're really lonely. They don't have kind of, a, they need wraparound services to be able to stay in their homes. And um, and so we started doing Meals on Wheels and a few different, some other things to, to, to come around some, some senior friends. Right. Chris, I can tell, you know, you're not very excited about this, are you? <laughs> it's, it's exciting. <laughs> I, I guess as my kids are all teenagers now, and they've. This is where there's. This is where it's been for me. As the kids are now teenagers, all three of my biological kids, yeah, and uh, that that are here with us, and they like just seeing how they've grown up with it. This is a snap, the, kind of this vision of the kingdom and living in God's mission. Amen. And I just I love it. So makes I, me I love it too. Thank you, Chris, for sharing with us. God bless so you, much, and thank you for sharing with our Phoenix community. God bless you. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their community. Today's testimony of God's love not only inspires us, but now we ask God how he wants us to demonstrate his love in a similar way with others in the church towards our neighbors. Also consider sharing the kingdom and its story with others through the media tab at harvestfoundation.org.